From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thank you for your ears, ladies and gentlemen. A, a writer with the Washington Post called 2013 the year that proved your paranoid friends were right. Vindication of a sort for those of you who listen to programs like this, those of you who don't run with the herd, those of you who recognize that the world is being pulled over our eyes. So I, I got to thinking, what will 2014 be? Keeping in mind, of course, it's early, but let's do one better than the Washington Post, shall we? Let's go out on a limb. 2014 may be the year we stopped calling conspiracists tinfoil hat-wearing weirdos. Every week, every day, seems to provide further vindication for us tinfoil types. Vindication. Yes, vindication, but you know, at the same time, it's kind of hard to feel good about the fact that people are starting to wake up from a dream only to realize we're living in a nightmare. Or as uh, Roger Zelazny, a science fiction writer, wrote, don't wake me up for the end of the world unless it has very good special effects. Uh, but just when you thought the end of the world had been called off, hooray! Along comes a lot of chatter online and in certain alternative news quarters about a relatively rare astronomical phenomenon known as the blood moon. And if you're not aware, a blood moon is a total lunar eclipse, sometimes called the hunter's moon. And a lunar eclipse occurs when the Earth's shadow, or the umbra, falls on the moon. So if the Earth's shadow completely covers the moon, it's a total eclipse. But a partial lunar eclipse happens if the Earth's umbra only partially covers the moon. And because the Earth has an atmosphere that bends light around its edge, the Earth's umbra is not completely dark. So the totally eclipsed moon will reflect the color of the light contained in the Earth's shadow, which happens to be the longer wavelength light, red, orange, yellows. And this is why sunsets, sunrises, generally are red, and why most lunar eclipses are red, which is a, a rather laborious explanation of why we sometimes call a totally eclipsed moon a blood moon. But it's not just one blood moon that's causing all this chatter. We're staring four blood moons in the face. Four blood moons heading our way, and more importantly, the fact that these four blood moons all fall on the Jewish feast days of Passover and Sukkot in 2014 and then in 2015. So for some, people like author Mark Blitz and Pastor John Hagee, these blood moons, these total lunar eclipses, are much more than just an astronomical event. They are a fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel, of the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood, and suggests that they may presage the second coming of the Lord, the second coming. And of course, before the second coming, we, we have the, the rise of the Antichrist and the tribulation, three and a half years of hell on earth. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. So I thought to myself, who can I bring onto the program to help make sense of the four blood moons? And I didn't actually have to look far because just last week, we were hoisting a few cups of cheer together as part of my 50th birthday. So he's a longtime friend and supporter of The Conspiracy Show, a pretty solid guy in my books. Ali Siadatan is an avid researcher of topics relating to the Bible. He teaches spiritual study courses for seekers focusing on world religions and specializing in Old and New Testament studies. His research into UFOs and alien abductions led to the making of the very popular documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods, which can be viewed at thinkagainproductions.com. 
Great pleasure to welcome Ali Siadatan to The Conspiracy Show. Hey, Ali, how are you? Hi, Richard. Very fine. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So I, in my very awkward and clumsy manner, tried to explain from an astronomical point of view what these blood moons are. And obviously I brought you on to talk more about the the prophetic angle here. But again, just to make sure that I, I got it right and we're clear, we have these total eclipses, which are relatively rare, a total lunar eclipse. But we've got two happening this year on Passover and Sukkot, correct? Yes. And then again in 2015, one on Passover and Sukkot. Yes, and the 2015, the first day of the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah, begins with an eclipse of the sun as well. So we've got an eclipse of the sun, and we have uh, two eclipses of the moon um, falling on the feast days, as you mentioned, yes. Why are we paying such attention to, to these? I'm, I'm assuming that we've had blood moons in the past, uh, you know, since recorded history. Right. They're not, you know, unheard of. They are somewhat rare. But So why are we looking at these next four blood moons? Yeah, we've had lots of them. If you go on NASA's website, you can see about 5,000 years worth of them. You know, mathematically, they calculate backwards to see the exact date of these lunar and solar eclipses. Why is it important? Well, because uh, in the Bible, God establishes a calendar. And he then appoints specific days on this calendar, days that are important to him. Um, and you know, uh, these are the feast days. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1, it talks about uh, the sun and the moon, and then it says this enigmatic sentence that follows the purpose of the sun and the moon. It says that, that they're there to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now, days and years is very obvious. It, it's the rotation of the earth around itself and around the sun, the biological clock that underlies all life processes is ignited. But let's focus on these two words, signs and seasons. When you think of the word sign, the Hebrew word for it uh, is ot, uh, O-W-T-H, usually that's how it's spelled in English, ot. And if you look up in a dictionary, it says signal or beacon. And that is really the proper translation, that the sun and the moon, both of them, um, uh, and the Jewish calendar is based on the sun and the moon as opposed to uh, the Roman calendar, which was solar, or the Muslim calendar, which is lunar. The Jewish calendar is both solar and lunar. The sun and the moon are uh, a signaling device. So when God wants to bring our attention to something that is important to him, he may sometimes use the sun and the moon as a signaling device, as a beacon. You know, the sun is, the moon is, is white, then it becomes red. It's white, becomes red. It catches everyone's attention. It's a signal. And then the word that's translated as seasons is moed. Again, if you look up in the dictionary, what does moed mean? It says it means appointment, fixed time, appointed time. In, later on, um, in, in the same... In the same book, uh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, uh, when it talks about the various feast days the, in Leviticus chapter 23, it again uses the word moed. There it's translated as feasts. 
the same word that's translated as seasons. And seasons kind of misleading because it makes you think about, you know, the changing of, of the weather. Like there's, it's winter, it's spring, but we're, we're not talking about seasons. We're talking about appointed days. So the sun and the moon have two purposes here. They are signals and they're the uh, celestial clock that marks appointed days in which calendar? In the calendar that God then establishes through Moses, saying this is the calendar, this is how it's going to work, and there are seven appointed days. These are the, the feasts. Uh, you've got you know Passover, a very famous feast. If you have any Jewish friends, they might be celebrating Passover. Unleavened bread, first fruits, uh, Pentecost or Shavuot, the harvest, the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacle. Um, and it's interesting to note that uh, so far important things in history have occurred on these feast days. When you go back in conjunction with the blood moon. Well, we're gonna, I'm going yes, I'm going to talk about the events that have happened on the blood moons as well. But this is very interesting because the blood moons and the appointed days are about to coincide in 2014 and 2015. So you have to kind of understand what's the importance of these appointed days and how they have manifested in history, then you have to understand what's the importance of these signals or blood moons and how they have been important in history. And then when you see them both coinciding, you can look back in history and see, well, when has this happened before? Has anything important happened on the stage of world history when these two things, the signals and the appointed days, coincide? And, and, I'll, and I'll build that up for your listeners. But you need some background information to really appreciate what's ahead of us. All right. Um, Let's get so, into that. So you've got the the feast days, these appointed days on, on you know, God's calendar. Um, the feast of Passover. Well, it's it's we all know that the Last Supper was a Passover meal. Um, the, the Christ and his the disciples are celebrating the Passover meal, and then uh, Jesus is arrested, trialed, and executed, and they really want him um, dead before the festivities begin because Passover is a happy happy occasion and from then on you know the the bible teaches that in fact this ritual of the Passover where a lamb was sacrificed and the blood put on the door uh, and and many other details about it that would be too long for us to get into um were marking in ritual format some event of great spiritual significance for the human race in, they were marking in god's calendar uh, in ritual format, and that important event, of course, was uh, the sacrifice of the Son of God, which has spiritual significance for the human race. And so that's why that day was appointed in God's calendar. Now, he's then dead in the grave uh, and during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And again, if you've, if you've seen Unleavened Bread, you understand kind of the metaphor here. And then he's resurrected and rises from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. Paul, for instance, who is a Jewish rabbi, you know, really gets into this stuff in his letters and, and talking about how he's the first fruit, you know, risen from the dead. Um, so, so suddenly, these three feasts, Passover, Unleavened, these appointed times on God's calendar come to life and have spiritual significance. Um, the earth is going round and round, but God knows the beginning from the end. And there are seasons and purpose to everything under heaven, we're told. And suddenly, on this particular juncture in history, on these appointed days, this incredible event happens, which changes world history. 
And now you go to the next feast, the Feast of the Harvest, Shavuot, or as we say in Greek, Pentecost. Let me just to stop you there, uh, Ali. Uh, we'll, um, we'll pick up on this uh, the other uh, around the bend here as we continue to talk about the four blood moons. Yes, there is a purpose under the sun. I learned that from Roger McGuinn. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. So let me give you the shorthand here. Four blood moons means something is about to change. Ali Siadatan uh, is with us, documentary filmmaker, UFOs, Gods, and Angels, and you can view that at thinkagainproductions.com. We're talking about the, uh, the significance of four blood moons or four total lunar eclipses uh, coming down the pipe, and uh, they fall on significant Jewish feast days this year and next year. You were talking about the next important feast day. Yes, the next important feast day uh, that has, and has something important has happened to it in the past is the Feast of the Harvest, or Pentecost, where 49 days plus one, after the Feast of Passover, there was another one of these appointed times in God's calendar the Jews were supposed to keep, and that was the Feast of the Harvest, or Shavuot. And the New Testament says that it was on the day of that feast that the Holy Spirit descended in Jerusalem and people were enlightened and understood you know, who Jesus was. And so in that sense, the harvest of the faithful began. And essentially Christianity really took off from there and spread to the whole world. Um, so something very important happened again. Uh, history and God's plans moved into a new stage. And so these appointed times, these feasts, these that were kept in ritual form in Israel's history suddenly came to life. Uh, in Jesus' time, he was crucified on Passover, resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. The Holy Spirit descended on the Feast of Pentecost. And so they suddenly you know, come to life. These are the appointed times, and there are other appointed times. There are seven of them in total. And we're expecting that something important will happen in, in the remainder of the feasts. When it comes to the blood moons, um, the signals. So we said that in the book of Genesis, uh, we are told that the purpose of the sun and the moon is to give signals uh, to, to humans uh, when God wants, to, you know, wants their attention. Um, so when has it happened in the past that these eclipses of the moon, where the moon becomes uh, red, as you explained, the shadow of the sun of the earth falls on the moon, have coincided with these very important appointed feasts in God's calendar. Where in the 20th century, it happened twice. Once, it happened in the 1967 window, uh, 1968 windows, where you know something very important happened in that time. Uh, there was a six-day war, uh, Jerusalem, um, you know, came under Jewish control, and, and many people saw a great prophetic importance to that. Um, and you know, everything, the entire Middle East's uh, uh, political landscape has been shaped by the Six Day War. Uh, uh, but the, the, another time where these blood moons coincided with feast days, these two feast days that you mentioned, Passover and Tabernacle. Uh, was in 1949, 1950, and, and so people see that, well, in 1948, the state of Israel uh, was born, and again, something important happened. Uh, when you go further back in history and you say, well, when did it happen before? 
Uh, it didn't happen um, in, in, in the 18th century or the 19th century or the 17th or 16th century. The, the, the last time it happened, this exact configuration of blood moons, these signals falling on these appointed days, was in uh, 1492. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, uh, Christopher Columbus writes in his diary, in the same month, he writes, in which their majesties, he's talking about Ferdinand and Isabella, issued the edict that all Jews should be driven out of the kingdom and its territories. In the same month, they gave me the order to undertake with sufficient men my expedition of discovery to the Indies. He writes in his diaries. So that you know, was the expulsion of the Jews from the realm of, of Ferdinand and Isabella. Uh, and in that year as well, this, this, this happened. Um, when you go back to you know, 70 AD, the destruction of the Jewish temple, you suddenly find, again, the same configuration. Um, Let me just stop you there. So this, when we say the same configuration, we're talking about the appearance of a total lunar eclipse or a blood moon on Passover and Sukkot. And Sukkot. Yes. 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. Yes. Blood moons, 1493 and 1494, when the Jews were being expelled from Spain. Yes. Blood moons on Passover and Sukkot uh, a year after the, the, the nation of Israel was assembled. Yes. Uh, blood moons on Passover and Sukkot in 1967 during being linked to the Six-Day War. That's right. And what are the odds of that? I mean, What are the odds? Exactly. What are the odds of that? It, it, it is, it's incredible. It's, it's, uh, you, you, here's another one that's very interesting. I find it interesting. Um, the Babylonians decide that they, you know, they're going to destroy the temple uh, that Solomon has built in the 6th century, in the 500s. Uh, there's a whole story that leads up to it. They finally come, they destroy the temple, and it's on a day in the Jewish calendar, the ninth of the month of Av. Okay, history moves forward. The Persians conquer the Babylonians. The Jews are allowed to go back. They eventually rebuild the temple. And then, you know, the, the Persians are conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks fall to the Romans. The Romans are the masters of the world. They take over, uh, you know, Israel. And they get into a dispute with, 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 with the uh, Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council, that, the, the religious council that r- rules Israel. And eventually in 70 AD, the Romans decide to destroy the second temple. Um, and it just so happens that that destruction also happens on the same day, the ninth of the month of Av. So centuries apart, empires apart. You know how many millions of events have to turn to coincide that the temple uh, that was, you know, built by the command of God was also destroyed on the same day twice? Uh, That's very interesting. So there are these days because God knows the end from the beginning. And he has appointed times and seasons under heaven for his purposes to be fulfilled. I was going to say, you know, I like the odds better in the Lotto Max. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're getting the, the message loud and clear here is that, uh, you know, when there are blood moons coming our way, four of them, uh, and they coincide with these Jewish feast days, we are to stand up and take notice. Yes, exactly. Okay, so... So I get that that we should be on the lookout for some sort of a change, but yeah. how do we get from okay blood moons on Passover and Sukkot to 
uh, you know, the terrible day of the Lord has come. Well, in um, the Old Testament book of Joel, um, there's a prophecy about the second coming, and, and, and God says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And so it's an eclipse of the sun and an eclipse of the moon, this whole the sun darkness and the moon blood. Uh, we, we know, if you recall also in the story of the Gospels, when Jesus crucified, there's an eclipse of the sun. And, and so, well, it just so happens that uh, in 2014, there's going to be two eclipses of the moon coinciding with these two of the feasts, uh, appointed times, uh, Passover and the Feast of Tabernacle, or Sukkoth in Hebrew. And then there's going to be an eclipse of the sun on the very first day of the religious calendar of, of, that God establishes in the Bible. And then I'll be followed by two more eclipses of the moon in 2015 on the same feast days. And, and this is something that has happened 62 times since the time of Christ, where uh, blood moons and um, um, uh, these feast days coincide. Um, and, you know, it's, it's in 2,000 years, that's not a lot. Uh, and uh, it's happened twice in the 20th century, 1948, 1967, and this is going to now be the first instance of it in the 21st century uh, of our calendar. But all these events uh, seem to be inextricably linked to the nation of Israel. So, I mean, yes. I guess all ties or all eyes should be turned towards uh, Israel. Coincidentally, you know, the Canadian Prime Minister there, sort of making history, addressing the uh, the Knesset, the first Canadian Prime Minister to do so. Uh, so this is all very interesting. It is very interesting. It is tied to Israel because in the Bible's narrative, you know, uh, God doesn't tell the story of everything. This is what's going to happen in Australia. This is what's going to happen in China. This is what's going to happen in South Africa. He picks Israel as the uh, character that we're following through history. And it says when you see these things happen to this tribe, to this people, to this nation, then know that this is where I am in the unfolding of events according to my plan and design. Alicia Adetan is with us uh, talking about the four blood moons. Now, before uh, the, Lord, the day of the Lord, we, we, we have to go through the, you know, the tribulation, and we have to go through the heavenly signs. So even if we have these signposts of the four blood moons, uh, and let's, you know, let's assume that the second coming is nigh, we've got a ways to go. Well, you know, things can happen very quickly, especially in the Middle East. Uh, um, we should, as you said, take heed, take notice. There are signals, you know, they're on God's calendar. If you have to first understand that calendar, to it's your daytimer. If you lose your daytimer, you don't know what's in it. But you find your daytimer, you go, okay, these days have been marked by God. Oh, wow, there are those signals that he sends. And he's sending them on these days that, are, that he values. Therefore, I should pay attention. Now, look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. Iran has just signed a six-month truce uh, with uh, the West uh, to hash out some sort of a you know, deal. It's for sure going to involve Syria. That's going to be you know, part of the deal. Um, the, there's a balance of power where you know, the Sunnis are trying to kick the Shias to the east of the Euphrates, kick them out, and, and uh, take over Syria for, you know, from Shia rule to Sunni rule. And change the configuration of the balance of power. And if that does happen, the Middle East, and I would say the Arab Spring, has finally bore a major fruit. There has been a major shift in the makeup of the Middle East, and perhaps that shift sets it 
for the next stage, which is kind of what you're talking about. Well, yeah, and the the, the next stage would have to be the, the fall of Satan, right? Yeah, the next stage would have to be the rise of a leader that, you know, uh, signs a treaty with Israel, unites the Middle East against Jerusalem eventually, and is humbled by the second coming of Christ. Um, but, but, you know, but the, the powers of the Middle East right now are still fighting among themselves. They're not ready to unite behind this guy. There has to be some sort of a birth of a new order, a new regional order there. And, and perhaps these blood moons are marking, you know, a cataclysmic shift in the geopolitics of the era, area that sets it up for this guy to take over. So we'll have to see. It's all speculation, but I like what you said. We should take heed because God is very loving and patient and he's really going out of his way to send us signals, to give us prophecies, to, to explain it in 50 different ways, repeat it in his word so that compassionately he's reaching out to his people, to the human race and translated in all these languages and saying, hello, I have never left you in, in ignorance. I've never left you in darkness. I'm speaking to you. Please pay attention, and I think that's very important to notice. Uh, I mean, you know, the universe is shifting into alignment uh, in accordance with events of human history. They just, it's just mind-boggling how many things have to click together um, on, on the cosmic level, on the human level, for all of these things to match. That at this time in history, at this, what's happening in the Middle East with Israel's return, these blood moons, uh, these feast days, it's. Definitely, I think, something that we should pay attention to. Okay, so to recap, the four blood moons uh, coming April the 15th, October the 8th of, of 2014, and then next year, April the 4th and September the 28th, uh, 2015. Correct. But again, the added significance here is that the total solar eclipses, uh, to- there will be a total solar eclipse on March the 20th of 2015, that's which right. is the biblical calendar of Nisan 1. That's right, the first day, Rosh Hashanah. The first day of the biblical calendar will have an eclipse of the sun, and then the feasts that follow, the Passover and Sukkot, will have eclipses of the moon. That's 2015, and then there will be um, you know, two eclipses of the moon in 2014. And you want, you want to know the last one, the eclipse of the moon, the, the, the moon becomes you know, red uh, on 2015. The very last one happens on the full moon, when the moon is closest in its orbit to the earth, so it's going to appear huge, and you know you can't see these things from all over the planet, that particular one you will be able to see from the city of Jerusalem. So if you're standing on the Temple Mount or by the, by the wall, looking up into the sky in the, in the Feast of Sukkoth in 2015, you will see a gigantic full moon close in its orbit to the earth, a supermoon, that will be completely red, that you can see from Jerusalem. And remember, the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacle is when the Jews all over Israel built little tents. And they go outside and they sleep in those tents with the ceiling, the roof uncovered, looking into the sky. They're going to be fulfilling that appointed time in their tents, looking up into the sky, and lo and behold, they're going to see a gigantic red moon in 2015 on the Feast of Sukkot from their little booths. And, you know, I'm sure it's going to speak into the hearts of many of them because they're more familiar with, with this calendar and, and these the, the important days and things that have happened in their history and, and these signs and signals. 
you know, Christians are, are catching up because we shifted calendars, right? We, we followed the Gregorian calendar. Uh, where none of these appointed times appear on it. So, do you think that was a was that a conspiracy to to confuse us? Yes, to switch sure. to the Gregorian calendar. Uh, for sure, the conspiracy is always in this case going back to Satan himself. It's like, okay, you know what? God writes, makes a daytimer for us, puts his important days on it, and we see that things happen in, in Christ's life that were important, and the Holy Spirit coming. But then Satan says, like, you know what? Give me your calendar. I'll just you know shove it in the corner, and we'll forget about it, and I'll give you a brand new calendar. It has none of the stuff written on it, but hey, you know, you're happy, aren't you? You got a calendar. So I think, yes. That's right. My month is clear. My month has been cleared. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm good to do lunch That's this month. Right. So, Ali, where are you going to be April 15th and October the 8th of this year? Are you going to be outside looking at the blood moon and <laughs> yes, contemplating? I am going to be outside contemplating and praying and opening my ears uh, to anything the Lord may have to say. And it's, 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 you know, I, I find myself suddenly drawn into this conversation. It's something I passively followed. Uh, if anyone wants, you know, detailed information, I recommend uh, some of the two authors you mentioned, uh, Haggy and, and Blitz. Um, um, uh, El Shaddai Ministries uh, is, is his ministry. He's really the, the guy who cracked it and has incredible research uh, uh, on it, and, and, and you, know, you can read more about it. And give a quick plug for you. You do some spiritual uh, studies yourself. Yes, uh, how in can downtown people... Toronto, I have a center here where we teach healing arts, martial arts, and spiritual studies. Uh, you can find us on the Internet. It's W-U-X-I-N-G, Wuxing, martialarts.com. And you can watch my documentary at thinkagainproductions.com where we make a connection between the UFOs, angels, gods, and prophetic events. And it's also kind of um, food for thought. You're always a food for thought, Ali. I appreciate your time. Ali Siadatan, thank you, my friend. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it! You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and emane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows All right, welcome back. Always a great pleasure to uh, welcome our media scientist friend Nelson Thal into the studio for a relatively new segment which we initiated a few weeks back, or I guess like about a month and a half ago, uh, State Secrets, where uh, Nelson uh, reports, I guess, uh, information, news from uh, behind, uh, backstage in the global theater from his uh, sources in the intelligence uh, community, and uh, thus was born a segment we're calling State Secrets. Hey, Nelson, welcome. Well, it's great being here, Richard. 
Sorry, uh, there we take go. two. Here we go. Okay, great being here. Uh, yeah, in an age of gigantic pictorial illusionism and journalistic exaggeration of concealment, as McLuhan said, the truth in conversation has disappeared everywhere except here on state secrets. All, All right. right. I, I right. like that. So, I like that. Yeah, Put what's that on going the bathroom on? wall. Yeah, because the commercial media can't really expose this stuff. Now, um, these links... Uh, I put all the, the stories up at my Twitter site, Nelson S. Thal. You can get it, go to my Twitter site now. People listening can uh, just go and um, all the links to these stories are there so they can read it in uh All right, in we're just going to give them the shorthand. We're going to give them the, the highlights. First ever atom- first item, first ever atomic bomb developed by the Nazis. It's coming out now more and more that uh, the rumors that started circulating that um, the Nazis developed and exploded what's called Hitler's bomb in 1944 on the Baltic island of Rügen, that's R-U-G-E-N, and in the spring of 45 in Thuringia, I don't know about the pronunciation. Atomic bombs were tested. More and more, there's evidence that this is coming out. And I have spoken to a former designer of the atomic reactor at Chalk River, and his wife has confirmed that they were made aware because they were they were working on the atomic bomb project with the Manhattan group. They talked about and said that they were made aware that the Nazis had exploded a bomb. So that's a great story. People can read more about that. Well, yeah, I mean, think the, the, the significance there is that uh, I mean, had the – I mean, what would have happened had the, the Luftwaffe not been uh, destroyed years earlier? Then they would have had a, the, the delivery capability and, uh, you know, we would all be uh, doing the uh, – Goose-stepping. The, the goose-step, yes. Now, uh, second item, the John Bonet story is a great story. It's alleged that Royal Canadian Air Force Colonel Russell Williams and his team murdered John Benet Ramsey. And they can read this story at the link that I have on my Twitter site. The motive? Ramsey had control over the U.S. Navy Command Center based in the Pentagon, control over systems used for the continuity of government program, which includes systems to hand over control to U.S. shadow governments or to a foreign, trusted foreign government. Ramsey was not playing ball with the enemies of America who were planning the 9-11 attack, thus threatening their plans to disrupt the war games and aid the 9-11 attacks. By the way, Ramsey was president of a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin called Access Graphics and was involved in uh, Russell was involved in the taking control over the NORAD operations. It's a great story. And interesting thing, Richard, at the time we mentioned it, but we didn't have any of the details that this article's come out in this information. But remember who Ramsey's wife was that the police said, oh, she's innocent. She's got nothing to do with it. Her last name was Harriman. 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 As in Skull and Bones Harriman. So there you go. More. So again, uh, Williams' wife's last name was Harriman. Yes, Russell Williams. And of course, and of the Harrimans were uh, uh, the, uh, the ambassadors to the Soviet Union. They were the governor. He was the governor ruling of New York. The ruling above elite. the law. Okay, this is just uh, so. So again, the um, uh, John Benet Ramsey was uh, was killed because her father wouldn't play. Ball yeah. wouldn't hand over the codes for the uh, continuity of government. Right. Well, to get him to play ball with them, they showed the. They wanted him to know that these guys were serious. Wow. Great story. Follow up with the You're details. You're not going to hear that. Not going to hear that on, uh, on CNN CTV. or CTV. All right. 
Uh, next story. SEAL Team 6 assassinated. Um, 22 members of the Navy, Navy SEAL Team 6 that died in Afghanistan shortly after Vice President Biden leaked that their unit was responsible for the death of Osama bin Laden. Radio talk show host Michael Savage has uh, no intention of letting anyone forget about it. And um, he is uh, uh, talking a lot about how um, uh, insiders within the de- Defense Department made the decision to take these guys out. Well, I, I, I remember reading an article uh, about this, and, and Savage has, uh, been, has interviewed a number of the parents of these uh, um, uh, SEALs, right. and the, the now deceased, and, the, and at the time, the, uh, these SEALs were telling their fathers, uh, and this happened in two or three occasions, something's up, Dad, I'm feeling nervous, something's going down here, I don't like it, I don't think I'm going to survive this. They knew something was in the air. Yep, knew. All right, next item, we've got to move along. These people listening, uh, these stories can, can go to my Twitter site, Nelson Estall, and they can click on the links and get the details. And we're Nelson just Estall with state secrets here in the right. Conspiracy Show. Okay, next, Hitler. Uh, okay, let me, uh, let me just uh, stop you there. We've got the music coming in. We'll save that headline when we come back. Okay. And um, I heard Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> that's always, that's what. Hitler survived the war. That's we're going to Absolutely. That's uh, that's a, a name that always makes one stand up and take notice 70 years later. All right. Back with more State Secrets and Nelson Thal here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Media scientist, archivist for the late Marshall McLuhan, Nelson Thal is with us with uh, another edition of State Secrets. And uh, you were about to utter the uh, the name uh, Hitler. Where are we going with that? Well, everyone's... Sorry, my mistake. Okay. Uh, there we go. Everyone knows Adolf Hitler committed suicide by gunshot in his underground bunker on April 30th, 1945. Well, that's been the conventional wisdom. But um, now comes a senior staff reporter who you've had on the show before. Jerry Corsi. Jerry yeah. Corsi's new book, Hunting Hitler, New Scientific Evidence That Hitler Escaped Germany. Examining declassified FBI and U.S. military intelligence files, Corsi now says there's a compelling case to be made that you investigators suspected suspected that Hitler had escaped. And it does look now that he did escape. And, of course, um, years ago I did an interview and uh, did shows with Greg Hallett on Hitler was a British agent, which talked about him escaping. Brainwashed at Tavistock during the First World War because his sister lived in Liverpool at the time. Right. He showed up at her place. Right. And he was, uh, you know, very disoriented, dazed and confused. Yeah, fascinating story. And the Soviets used uh, at night sulfur flares, which were yellow, so they painted the submarine that Hitler got out on yellow. And, of course, that links in with the Beatles' yellow submarine. And you told me that it was Ian Fleming. Fleming. That spirited Hitler out of Germany. Absolutely. It was That's called Operation story. Winnie the Pooh. Wild story. Yep. Anyway, people can read about that, and uh, Corsi, I'm sure you'll have on in a few weeks. So uh, people we're trying should... to, yeah, we're trying to get uh, Jerry Corsi on the program next week, in fact, uh, to talk about uh, his new book. Yeah, uh, and so the idea was that Hitler was uh, was escaped on a U-boat and ended up in Argentina, as many people have long suspected, and I guess lived to a ripe old age there. Yep, and uh, actually, Penn Jones told me that 
uh, Hitler attended a garden party at LBJ's ranch in 1964. My word. Penn so, Jones. Penn one of the Jones. Top JFK assassination researchers. Yep. Okay, next item. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood. There's a TeaParty.org has a story about a Washington political insider. Retired U.S. Air Force Major General Tom McKierney has confirmed that the Muslim Brotherhood has a major presence in the White House inner circle. In an interview with the Washington radio station, he says that they've identified at least two Muslim Brotherhood players with direct Oval Office access. So there you have terrorists right in the White House. And, of course, Obama, as in all the documents that we've seen, Obama, when he went to school in Indonesia, listed himself as a Muslim. So um, I'm sure there's a big connection there. All right. What do we have uh, coming up next? Next, we have uh, 10 global businesses that worked with the Nazis, which is very interesting. Guess what? Number one was General Electric, who um, owns NBC. And there's the BMW. And there's Nestle's. And Novartis, the drug company. And Alliance. And Coca-Cola. And Kodak. And Random House. And number nine, Ford. And number 10, the Chase Bank. So these are all global businesses, and you can read more about it at the Twitter site, 10 global businesses that work with the Nazis. Well, of course, and, on IBM, uh, IBM And helped, IBM, uh, not in the list, but should be. Yes, yeah. IBM helped devise the, the numbering system that ended up being used to tabulate and keep tabs on, on the Jews in Germany. And, of course, those were the numbers that ended up being tattooed on, on their wrists. Yeah, yeah. Clintons and Bushes attacked, invaded, and occupy Haiti. It's a great story that uh, you can read about the earthquake in Haiti being pre-planned by the U.S. Southern Command and the entire way in which uh, the Bush-Clinton junta used the disaster to then raise money and the money and the cash was siphoned right into their pockets. And it's a great story uh, and uh, certainly links in with a lot of evidence that we've presented in the past about what was happening in Haiti with the with the harp and, and, and the harp. Well, attacks. how long has that been since that uh, major earthquake in, uh, in Haiti? It's been January 11th. No, no, no. This is I'm sorry. Um, it's been what, seven or eight years. I seven believe. or eight years. I don't and, have the exact and, date. Here. And very little has changed there. I mean, many of the roads you can't drive down, you know, major intersections in, in uh, Port-au-Prince and places like this. The devastation continues. Continues. Still people living out, you know, in, in, in uh, temporary housing and so forth. In his book, Oblivion, Colonel Bearden uh, mentions not only HARP, but other technologies that the Russians have and uh, other nations have that allows them to control and uh, generate earthquakes. Good book, Oblivion, people should get by Colonel Bearden. Last item, Richard. People could see the Grinding Down America full movie. I've got the link on the site. People should see that before that movie. It's up there right now. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that film. I've heard about it. I have not yet seen it. I don't it. know a lot about it. I actually haven't watched the whole movie. I've, I, I had it recommended to me. But it's certainly about the ruling elite's control of getting rid of the middle class and moving to a more automated society and moving a lot of the middle class out of America back to their homelands. All right. I was I was talking to uh, yeah. someone today uh, or the other day about uh, you know the state of the public education system, and we were, we were sort of both in agreement that what we have is essentially 
a triage. Public education has become triage. And, and he remarked, yeah, they're basically teaching students to stack boxes because that's the future. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it'll be a nation of serfs in North America. Exactly. I mean, you've seen what the automation is going to do. I mean, they've got robots now that can operate like the human body. Nelson, we should also mention before we, uh, we, we say goodbye, yeah. the smoking gun moment that uh, you designed yes. is now up on the uh, the website at richardserrett.com. Yeah. And uh, it's right at the top of the uh, the page, and on the home page. I really invite and encourage people to visit richardserrett.com and click on the smoking gun moment. For those not familiar with it, just walk us through what that is all about. Basically, it's a simple way to for people to show others how the Warren Commission super bullet theory is totally fictitious and how the media presented it because when you go through the smoking gun moment you can see the Zapruder film and see that Kennedy went backwards with tremendous violence it's showing a shotgun shot from the front and yet you then have Dan Rather's audio plane in which he says the president went forward with tremendous violence and you then ask this question well how did this obscure dallas reporter dan rather an unknown he was the only one allowed to view the zapruder film he absolutely lies about it bald-faced lies how kennedy reacted to the shot his body and now he becomes cbs news <laughs> yeah it becomes an, an icon right exactly becomes that's his his reward for lying about it so again uh, it's a great it's a great thing for people to show others uh, in a simplified way the smoking gun it's a smoking gun the smoking gun moment so yes. yeah again go on to richardserrett.com and uh, right on the homepage there just uh, click on uh, the smoking gun moment and it walks you through you see the uh, those those important frames like 312 313 314 yeah. and over top you hear Dan Rather's commentary yes. on what you're seeing, and the absolute complete contradiction uh, is very profound indeed. Well, I got one more for you in the closing moments here, yes. talking about uh, stake secrets. And this comes from NASA, no less. They're talking about this Mars mystery rock. Have you heard about this? Uh, it appeared apparently from nowhere, uh, and they're saying it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And the experts are saying that they were completely confused by both the origins and makeup of this object, which is currently being investigated by Opportunity's various measuring instruments. Of course, Opportunity is the rover on the surface of Mars. And astronomers noticed this new rock had appeared without any explanation on, on an outcrop which had been empty just days before because the rover has been stuck photographing the same region of Mars for more than a month due to, uh, to bad weather with scientists at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California monitoring the images it sends. Uh The rover is not moving around a lot. Uh So one day they're photographing this outcrop of rock. There's nothing unusual or interesting there. And then the next day, all of a sudden, surprise, there's this... New rock? This new rock. Wow. One observer described it as resembling a jelly donut. Mm. And so NASA issued this Mars status report entitled Encountering a Surprise... Lead Mars Exploration Rover scientist Steve Squires told a Jet Propulsion Laboratory event, it seems the planet literally keeps throwing new things at us. He said the images from 12 Martian days apart were from no more than a couple of weeks ago. We saw this rock just sitting here. It looks white around the edge in the middle, and there's a low spot in the center that's dark red. It looks like a jelly donut. And it appeared just plain, appeared at that spot, and we haven't ever driven over that spot. So in other words, the, the observer didn't you know, disrupt or drop anything there. 
I've actually tweeted this at, at Richard Serrett, and you can see the images yourself. Squire said his team had two theories on how the rock got there. There's a smoking hole in the ground somewhere nearby, and it was caused by a meteor, or that it was somehow flicked out of the ground by a wheel as the rover went by. We'd driven a meter or two away from here, and I think the idea that somehow we mysteriously flicked it with a wheel is the best explanation, Squire said. Yet the story got even stranger when Opportunity investigated further. Squires explained, We are, as we speak, situated with the rover's instrument deployed taking measurements of this rock. We've taken pictures of both the donut and jelly parts and got the first data on the composition of the jelly yesterday. It's like nothing we've ever seen before, he said. It's very high in sulfur. It's very high in magnesium. Uh It's got twice as much manganese as we've ever seen in anything on Mars. I don't know what any of this means. We're completely confused, and everyone on the team is arguing and fighting over what it means. (laughs) Remember we had Reynolds on, and he said... Morgan Reynolds, yes. Never a straight answer was what NASA stood for. There you go. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) All right, Nelson. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. State secrets. My uh, thanks uh, to Tim Spreen for technical production. As I said, uh, working on getting Jerry Corsi on the program next week to talk about his new book on how Hitler escaped and lived to a ripe old age in Argentina and perhaps, according to your sources, Nelson, attended a garden party by LBJ back in 1964. Unbelievable. All right. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed. And nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.